Hello again, everybody. Welcome to Crew Call 2-11. Hard to believe this year's almost over, but I think in many ways, maybe that's not a bad thing. Anyway, uh, my guest this month is my old friend, Brian Banna. We are going to uh, catch up because Brian and I have known each other a long time, and we've got a lot to talk about, so let's have at it. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing great. Thanks, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, uh, for an old guy, I, I find that despite my best efforts, I'm not getting any younger. And uh, one of the side effects of that is I tend to model with a, um, I don't want to say uh, urgency, because that's not really, that, that's not a positive connotation. But I also don't feel like I feel like just wasting time. You know how yeah. a lot of people who model, they you know, they, they procrastinate, they, they, oh, know, yeah. stuff, stuff sits for long periods of time. <laughs> and all of us who are modelers do, do X amount of that. And, and, you know, my perfect example of that is, uh, is this, is the uh, GP10 project that, that you started on uh, with me. I don't know how many years ago uh, that, that was, but it's, I, it's in double digits. Yeah. I think that was in the, it was around 2006, 2007. Cause that's when I moved back to Illinois. Right. Right. So we'll, we'll get to that. Um, I, I thought it might be interesting because I was trying to think of this myself. Um, and with my memory being, let's just say somewhat suboptimal these days. Um, I was trying to recall exactly where we met and I, I figure it was either at the first gym six meet in, in Ohio or maybe in Savannah. And I'm not sure. Do you recall? It was the first RPM meet that I went to, and that was in Georgia. So that was Bob Harp's meet? Yes. Okay. And that was, I think, probably not that long after the o Ohio meet. So No, it was in the 1990s because I was still living in Arizona at that time. Right, right. And, and, so, and I was thinking about today, um, just kind of getting my, my thoughts together, uh, you were living in Arizona, and as a, as a prototype modeler, you, as I recall, were modeling the A and C at that point, right? Um, I actually start when I I started in HO scale in the late '90s. I was always an N scaler. Oh, that's that. right. I forgot about I start, that. I started off in N scale. I think it was 19 Christmas of 1971. Wow. And then um, you know, living in Arizona. There's just, you know, well, I went through that stage of where you go away from the hobby and then as you settle in, you come back to it. And Very came, common. Yep. Yes. And when I came back to it, I came back in N scale, and, but I was starting to do detail modeling. I was like, I just can't do that in N scale. I was like, I forged ahead in N scale as far as I could. And it was like, I, I need to go to HO scale. So I went to HO scale and, uh, and I started out with Penn Central. So we're gonna, one of the things we're going to figure out in this podcast, Brian, is what drives Brian Banna. Because <laughs> I think of you as a highly skilled modeler who, in the amount of time that I've known you, has literally been all over the place and back. So I, I want to kind of explore that, that journey because I don't think it's that uncommon um, maybe, maybe the degree of it is, is, is more with some people, but you know, well, let's, let's kind of talk about that. So when you came to Savannah, when I first met you, you were strictly an N-scale modeler? No, no, I was, I had done some N-scale, but I had done my first Penn Central models, which were the, the GP7, the P2K GP7. Okay. And that 
Penn Central SD38. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Which eventually, well, there's a story behind that, but we'll get to that too. <laughs> yeah. um, and, so, and you brought that, I think, to Savannah, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. kind of got my attention, as I, as I recall. Yeah, that was the model that got the attention of Gordon Cannon and what caused us to become friends as well. How did he find out about it? By seeing pictures of the meat? No, Dave Hussey told him about it. Okay. And, and was, then, was Dave in Savannah for that one? No, no, no. I had posted it, uh, pictures of it on, on Jim Six's prototype modelers. Oh, right, right, right. Thing. right. And then, then out of the blue, I got a call from Gordon Cannon. I don't know how he got my phone number or anything like that, <laughs> but I got a call. But if, from then on, we would talk a couple times a month, you know, not just about modeling, but about just life in general. And sure, and sure. He was, he was quite a guy. I, I consider myself <laughs> fortunate to have met him once and had, had dinner with him and mm-hmm. uh, him and Liz and Dave and, and, you know, Andy Harmon and people like that. I, that was, I think, the first WPM that I went out there to. Did you ever get to one of those meets? I went to one of those, and that's the first time I met Gordon Cannon. Okay. Also. That was probably, I'm going to guess and say it's the year before I, I went. Probably, yeah, because I don't remember you being there. Right, right. Well, I wasn't yeah, I, quite fully in California mode. You know, that was around yeah. that tumultuous time of life. And, and it's funny, I, you know, a lot of the guys I talked to, we've all, you know, been through a divorce and, you know, come out the other side and, and ended up happily married. But I mean, there was a time when I was actually considering relocating to California. I remember not. you were looking at the Tatachapi area. I actually bought land there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in in fact, a, a fellow that uh, that is on my Conrail group uh, bought the land from me. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> he works for Amtrak, so you know it's. Uh, I think it's it's a um, you know they talk about that six degrees of separation thing, and I yeah. always joke that in the in the in the model railroading field, it's more like two or three. You know, it's not mm-hmm. a it's not a gigantic pond, so uh, <gasps> people people tend to know one another, uh, or at least yes. know somebody who knows who knows one another. Yes. Yes. So you were working in both scales for a while there. Yes. And then, you know, job change, you, you, you uh, moved east, I think, or was it to, no, you moved to the Chicago area first, Yeah, right? I moved back um, to the Chicago area near the town that I grew up in and stuff like that. Yep. And then that company decided that they couldn't compete in the market that they were working in because their one customer dumped them. And uh, a little bit so, of exposure there, huh? Yeah. So I went to contracting and then we moved to California for like a couple months. And I was like, I can't live here. There's no I think way. I, I think I missed that entirely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went to work for Qualcomm out in okay. California. San Diego, right? San Diego. Yeah. yeah. And thankfully my brother lived there. So I was able to, I was contracting with Qualcomm. Right. And I was, so my brother put me up for a while and then, I got a job with them for a little bit and moved the family out there. And after about two months, I was like, ah, this is, there's no way we're ever going to be able to afford to own a home right, or, right. Or, or anything. So I met somebody or the person I was working with knew somebody that worked at another company that had an office back in North Carolina. So that happened. And uh, then the company, the person I worked with as a contractor worked across the street from where I was working in North Carolina in, in Greensboro and said, hey, we got an opening in, in Raleigh. So I took that job and I, this is the best job I've ever had. Oh, I didn't realize you had two different jobs back east. That's yeah, so, yeah. 
So, <clears throat> so when you, so how many, uh, roughly how many years ago was that? Um, I Seven, think maybe? I moved to North Carolina in 2011 or 2000 or 2012. A uh, little bit longer than I thought. All right. Yeah, yeah. So at some point during all of those years, you did at least two that I'm aware of, and maybe three of those famous Banna purges. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've done a number of those. Okay. So, so I, I, I was aware of two and, in fact, participated in two. And I think the yeah. third one I said, yeah, I can't do another Banna purge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's one of those things where you collect a bunch of stuff. And then one of them was because I had lost that job in Illinois. And I said, I need right. to, to pay some bills and stuff like that. I remember yeah. when that when that uh, shipment came in, and, yeah. and and just to explain, Brian contacted me and said, "Look, I'm 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 going to be selling off a bunch of my stuff," and I knew what it was like, um, and um, and he he said, "You know, a lot of it's end scale, but he says you can make some money reselling this," and I thought, I I I really don't have any experience reselling end scale stuff, but you know the reputation of how the models looked, uh, I think you know maybe just sight unseen say yeah okay we'll do it and brian shipped me 13 u-haul boxes full of stuff and i remember yeah. <laughs> i remember when it came in i'm sure packing it up was uh, was epic but when yeah. it arrived here at the time i had a pool table and my buddy dave used to come over on on monday night train night and the stuff had just arrived so he helped me kind of unpack it all and i think that was maybe mistake number one we, we unpacked it all <laughs> And it covered every horizontal surface in, in the room, the entire pool table, the staging yard that was being built in there. It was like, oh, my God. And, and I got like a cold sweat. I thought, what, what did I do? This is a lot. Yeah, I'm sure, you're, I'm sure you were excited when you opened that box. It had all those N-scale Atlas shells and and uh walkways and all that stuff in it too well all right and we're gonna we're gonna get to the the, the parts and stuff because that's another whole subject <laughs> but but to make a long story short i thought okay the first thing i'm gonna do here is take good pictures of all of these items and i made up a little in sky in scale diorama um piece of track that i think was in your collection believe it or not and just put it on a piece of foam board and ballasted it and did a little scenery and then i shot each engine individually. And, uh, you know, I did the same thing for the, uh, for the HO scale stuff. Uh, although those I may have shot on my layout, we're going back a ways here. Mm -hmm. but anyway, I was, I was really surprised at how quickly I was able to sell basically all of it, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and I, and I thought, boy, you know, Brian was right. You know, there, there was a market for this stuff. I think it took me eight to 10 months to, you know, sort of get into the black on it and, and uh, everything yeah. else was, was gravy at that point. Yeah. And, you know, you're left with a little bit of residue, but, you know, you're always left oh, yeah. with some, some residue. Yeah. And a lot of that residue has been immensely useful to me. You know, I, I still rummage around, believe it or not, in the box of Canon bits and pieces that, that was mm -hmm. part of one of those, one of those purges because oh, you, had, you, just, you, you just need like a door or, or a couple of, uh, 
uh, uh, class lights, you know, those uh, frog eye class lights yeah, yeah, that Conrail yeah. uses. Yeah, what are you going to do, tear apart a whole nose kit for that? No, you go in the, no. the banner parts box and there they are, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, you, you, there was a lot of stuff that when I would get it, I would just take it all apart and put it in separate boxes. And Well, now, wait a minute. Pull from it. You're underselling this. <laughs> I, I have represented you as being the greatest disassembler of model railroad locomotives that ever lived. <laughs> and and I sold a couple of I, I just not long ago I sold your your ancient BL2. You remember that? Oh yeah. yeah. I represented it as a loco in a bag. And 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 <laughs> indeed it was. It was a Ziploc bag with an entire P2K BL2 disassembled to the you know to to its smallest uh, mm -hmm. denominator. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I do. When I take things apart, it's down to each individual piece. I pull the trucks apart, pull all the right. gears out, everything. <laughs> right. So, but you know, I, again, I've greatly benefited from some of that because like the other day I had, what was it? It was an old, it was an old P2K GP18 that, that somebody had just <laughs> given me. And you know me, I'm a New Englander, we're thrifty. So I thought, what can I do to make use of this? And of course the drive was kind of, mm -hmm. so uh, I rummaged around in what was left of the of the of one of the banner collections, and I found in there a bunch of not only uh, Stuart uh, Blomberg trucks, but also the bushings to a, to to adapt them to the to the drive shaft. Oh yeah, and and I just thought I can't believe I just mm. rummaged around in here and found exactly what I needed, you know. And I think I have a, mm -hmm. like a few sets of them, so I've definitely made made use of those. I'm pretty sure. All of that stuff's completely unobtainable at this point. Yeah, there's a the the way manufacturing has gone. A lot of that stuff you can't get. It was at the time where you could call up P2K and the the wonderful woman on the phone would just send you everything you needed. Oh yeah, when they were in in uh, Baltimore, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I uh, I I bought you know fuel tanks and like mm -hmm. all kinds of all kinds of parts like that. Uh, obviously, those days are lo are, are long oh, yeah. gone. Long I mean, gone. you can't even get those NWSL bushings anymore. Nope. You can't get anything anymore, really. So, I mean, you think of how long it's been, and I'm still making good use out of some of that stuff. It's incredible. <laughs> That's good. I mean, you know, someday when I'm dead, somebody will be calling it the, the Mike R collection. You know right. what I mean? Go, it'll be 78 boxes of, uh, of stuff that, that somebody ships to them, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you had your purges and for various reasons, but you always got back in the hobby, right? It always oh, yeah. pulls you back. Yeah, I can't leave this hobby. It's part of me. It's, it's, it's what I do to relax and get away from the real world. And, right. And, That's and what it's stuff. supposed to be. It's yeah, supposed yeah. to be fun, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's supposed to be fun. But when, when, it's, when you're serious about it, you can make it not fun. And, and that's happened to me as well. Well, I mean, let's talk about that a little bit because I think, uh, especially prototype modelers, right? I mean, we all have a, a reputation for, um, you know, sort of the, the negative side of, of, of rivet counting where no matter oh, how yeah. good something is, you can't even enjoy it, you know? And yeah, I, yeah. Think I've, I think I've tried uh, <clears throat> fairly successfully to, to avoid that most of the time in, in in my case building a large layout the reality check involved in that kind of forces you to make 
deliberate compromises, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't see you as a compromise kind of guy. Well, you know what, Mike, if you saw what I was working on now and the collection that I have put together over the past couple of years, when I, I kind of disappeared from the, from the, all the social media stuff and everything, you would, uh, you would say, what the heck happened to you? (laughs) Really? Yes. So, so let's have some details here. That sounds fascinating. Because I, I got to the point where it was becoming no fun anymore. And I wasn't finishing anything. I, was, I don't have anything that I had. You know, I've sold off everything. And so uh, about a year ago, maybe about a year ago, I'd say, maybe, maybe a year and a month or so, I got out of line on one of the... Um, forums the atlas forum what was the subject was it about something some manufacturer offering yes it was were... I, and, and i'll say it because i you know i'm i owned up to it i it was about the uh it was scale trains yep and i had gotten to the point in the hobby where i thought i was somebody and i could say anything i wanted and you know you better listen to me because i'm brian banner <laughs> and, and stuff like that and and I mouthed off and I called Shane a liar and all this stuff, you know, openly. You know, I on, think I on, vaguely remember that because yeah, and and it definitely made ripples. Yes. And after that happened, you, you ever hear of the, um, you might have, you might know the term, the jump the shark movement. Oh yeah. That I look at as my jump the shark moment. After that, I sat back and I was like, who the heck do you think you are? How long did it take to arrive at that point after it, after immediate, it happened? Oh. Immediately. Immediately. Okay. Interesting. And I wrote Shane a, a very heartfelt apology. And the person that he is was so kind and so accepting and accepted my apology. And, and we've had conversation after that and stuff like that. Um, before I left the Atmos Forum, I, I kind of said, I'm sorry to everybody. And then, you know, I, I left and... And people think it's because I, I don't have, because I have thin skin. It wasn't because of that. It was because I just had to get away from it. Sure. It, sure. it turned, prototype modeling turned me into something I never wanted to be. Wow. And, 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 and this, this sounds like, and people can go, it's just a stinking hobby. How could you get so serious about it? But I love this hobby. It's how you I, approach it. I mean, it's like anything. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so, you know something, Brian. We we all know somebody else like that, right? I mean, yeah. so it's you know, don't make it, don't don't feel like it's that uncommon. It's just yeah. that when it goes that direction, it's very <laughs> obvious and very public, and yeah. yeah, yeah. So so I I I unsubscribed from all the forums I was on. I I deleted all my videos off of YouTube. I just wanted to get away from. I didn't want to get away from the hobby. I just wanted to get away from the stuff that made me what I, what I became. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I hated myself for it. So how did you do that? I mean, how did you zero in on, on what specifically was the problem and then say, well, this thing that was so important to me is now not important anymore. I mean, how did you do that? Well, it's because of all the stuff that I did and the stuff that I've published and everybody coming back saying oh you're such a great modeler oh man you you know keep it up you know i love seeing your stuff and and that feeds your ego sure and and no matter what anybody says everybody has an ego it's just how you keep it 
It's so true. You know, you're trying not to, I mean, yeah. it's one thing to have a strong ego, but if it's too big, it becomes a problem. Right? Yeah. And it, and it became a problem for me because it was like, why isn't anybody listening to me about these, what the manufacturers are doing? It's like, you're, you're an idiot, Brian, just enjoy the hobby. And so I just dumped it all. I didn't dump all my stuff. I dumped sure. the, the, you know, going online and, and, and all that stuff and telling people what they should think or, well, maybe not what they should think. but It's very telling, unusual to do that, you know. Usually people who are of that, of that bent, you know, they, that's who they are. You know, they don't, yeah. really, they don't really change. That's, so it's very yeah. interesting. But, but I was like, I, I got I to figure out what I want for this. Because quite honestly, Mike, I wasn't modeling for myself anymore. I was modeling for the wow factor. Yeah. Or to to see what kind of response I could get out of people cuz I'd so, put all kinds of, you know, stuff up on the on YouTube about, you know, process, you know, how I build models and 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 little tips and tricks and stuff like that. And and it was fun. It was What would be an example of something that you were doing for wow factor that you're not doing now? Oh, I would say um uh, all the all the detail work. I mean, the super fine detail work under the frame. You know, all the pipes and all the how to make the pipes and um, <laughs> and all the you know all the knowledge that I've gained over the years going to all these museums and talking to railroaders and and stuff and and applying that to building the model and you know using the mill to cut little pockets out. You know to you know all that stuff that most people don't have the I don't want to say the ability to do, but they don't have the tools to mm -hmm. do it. So, so I would put the stuff up, but nobody was going to do, you know, do that kind of stuff. But I was there. I said, I got the mill. I'm going to show how, you know, how I mount this in the mill and cut it and, and put lights behind it or, you know, you know, stuff like, like for instance, on one of my, my models I did uh, on among one of my freelance models, I did uh, ditch lights inside those really thin, um, ditch light um, um, housings that uh, Detail Associates makes, those really thin ones that go on top of the, uh, the uh, deck. Yes. And I was able to mount, you know, ditch lights in there and route, route the wires out of them without you ever knowing that they were in there. Other well, than when well knowing there. you, you devised a way to make actual scale electrical conduit and the fittings for them. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah, it's things like that. So it's like, you know, that was fun and stuff, but it got to the point where I wasn't getting any models done none at all so and that that in a way so one element of of your um of your likes for, for for all of this is fine scale like museum quality model building which is yes. like uh, that, one aspect of the hobby yes that that what was driving me was to push the limits as much as i could and and stuff but then after this whole debacle happened i sat back and I started remembering what the hobby used to be with my brother and I, and you know, the, the, my dad stayed up all night Christmas Eve to put us together a four by eight figure eight N scale layout that sat on the table in the basement and, and all that stuff. And, and those memories just blossomed into what I'm doing now. And even though like what I'm doing now is, you know, that I had some favorite N scale cars and, I'm reproducing them in HO scale, you know, the AHM cars and stuff. I've sold off all of my high-end freight cars, all of the, you know, the tangents, all the arrowheads, the Genesis, really? anything that has 
separate grab irons and roof walks and stuff, sold all that stuff off. I'm yeah. glad I'm sitting down. Um, I didn't expect to hear that. So, <laughs> so. My, my focus now is prototype representation, which means it doesn't have to exactly match the prototype, but it has to look like it. So like, for instance, I'll get a, uh, uh, what is it called? An AHM car or whatever. Like for instance, those flexi flow hoppers. Yes. I, I got me five of those flexi flow hoppers. And I, I rebuilt the bolsters because if you put um, uh, body-mounted couplers on them, AHM molded them so that one bolster is taller than the other bolster. So the, if you've got truck-mounted couplers, it doesn't matter. But if you put body-mounted couplers... It was just 25. a mistake in their, in their tooling? Yes. And so if you've got body-mounted couplers, they're 20 thousandths off from one side to the other. So I 3D designed a whole new bolster system for and built that. I, I, I don't have the correct hatches for the roof, but I bought the ones from Spring Mills that they had on their PD 3000 car. Mm -hmm. Put those on there. Um, you know, I cut off the, the air um, piping on, on one side because it's only supposed to be on one side of the car and they had it molded on both sides. So it's stuff like that. So, and then I designed my own decals. I, I'm loving designing my own decals and get them printed by highball graphics and stuff. The guy's Jim's great at highball oh, graphics. Jim, Jim has been um, my saving grace for like, like, like my Pocono Northeast short line, you know, he, yeah. he created the artwork for the GP nine. Uh, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. Harold King had done a run eons ago that, that fit the uh, little SW1 switcher and yeah. the caboose, but they never did them for the Jeep 9. Yeah. Because there was only one of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, I, I gave that artwork. I mean, I, I, I actually, I think I, I scanned and sent him the, the uh, SW1 uh, decals and then yep. I sent him as many prototype <laughs> pictures as I could find of the, of the P&E Jeep 9. And he did, you know, a fantastic job. In fact, I think Bob Harp painted that one for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I bought Corel Draw and taught myself the rudimentaries of it and have been using it ever since. I think I've had him print me up about 24 to 30 decal sets now from my own artwork. I have my own uh, proto, uh, I can't say proto freelance. Yeah, I guess proto freelance railroad. Um, and, and I think that's why I bounced around so much, um, Mike. Well, speaking because, of bouncing around, I mean, <clears throat> uh, I need to hear more about this proto freelance railroad. But were you talking about doing artwork for your decals? Let's go. Let's let's go back in time again because I remember when you were in that you know extreme prototype phase, and you decided that a lot of the uh, locomotives that were GEs needed the same kind of uh, fidelity of, of brass steps as. Oh yeah, uh, as you could get with you know for EMDs with with Canon, yeah, and you just decided to roll your own. So you literally drew up all the artwork for these GE uh, uh, brass steps for I think three different uh, models. If I'm I not mistaken, I did all of I did all of the Atlas GEs. Okay, and mm -hmm. um, and then you <laughs> I think you you know you did them up for yourself and and you were satisfied and then. One day we were just chatting about it, I think, and and you said, "Hey, if you're interested in 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 the line, you can have it." And and which was awfully magnanimous, but you didn't want to be involved in ordering and shipping things. And, yeah, I and, don't. You know, websites and and all of that jazz. 
So, so just so people understand, the, the GE steps that are on my website available for sale are pure Brian Banner products, as yeah. are my two pipe railings, which I asked you to draw up for me. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, um, I've been selling them ever since. And, and I've, you were kind enough to refer me to your uh, etching facility in, in, in the UK, who I've been using all this time as well. So we, we definitely go way back in terms of cooperating on these things. Oh yeah, I've I've per I have done so much since then, Mike. <laughs> I have boxes full of photo etch that I've done. Well, what are, what are some of the other things that you've done? <clears throat> Excuse me, <clears throat> I've done the correct GP thirty five tread plate. I've done the um, I've done step sets for the Kato GP thirty five. If you want to use the prototype step depth or if you want to use the Kato step depth hmm. um, I've done what I see I've done the steps for the uh, Genesis GP38s um, all the varieties of them mm -hmm. um, I've done the steps for the gen or the uh, Athern SD40s SD38s the RTR stuff yes yes yep. I've done all kinds of 3D printed stuff. Like, like for instance, some of these freight cars, these, these um, AHM freight cars that have um, uh, truck mounted couplers, I have to redo the bolsters because of the, uh, the way the trucks mount into them. So I make new bolster pins and, and things like that. I make new um, drive shafts for the uh, locomotives because right, right now I'm working on some, <laughs> you're going to laugh at this one too. <laughs> I'm working on some, some Atlas Roco um, GP40s, but I'm putting Cotto motors in them, so I got to do, I got to new do a new spline shaft. You know the you drive know, Craig, shaft. Craig Zenny told me specifically to ask you about that, so this is as good a time as any. <laughs> yeah. Well, now you're just are you just doing it for the challenge, or well, is see, there some okay. other reason driving? Okay. I'm doing it as a challenge, yes, because I got thoroughly bored with prototype modeling, you know, okay. the high-end prototype models. And I, you know, I've done, I, I've done the stuff. I've, I've done all kinds of stuff. You, you're taking those, more pleasure making a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Yes. And I, I, I'm telling you, Mike, I am having more fun and more relaxing enjoyment doing this than I ever did with prototype modeling. See, for a guy like you, a tangent covered hopper is almost useless. Fun wise. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> it's not and because there's nothing to do to it really. Right. That you well, have to do. No, you don't. And, and cut off the trip pin and, and weather it. You know, that's yeah, all I do. So, <laughs> yeah. So and and I don't mind foobies anymore. And I I don't mind Wait a minute. If, Who if, are you and what have you done with yeah, Brian Bennett? Exactly. <laughs> if if it's a model that I like, I'll I'll buy it. I've done Fooby decals, Mike. I've done, hmm. I've done stuff. Well, of course, you know, because it's some of the stuff that I've done for my, what I call my nostalgic series, which is the stuff that I had as a kid. Mm -hmm. So I do the decals to match them and they, they never existed in, in real life. A lot of those cars that manufacturers just put whatever name they could sell on them. Well, you know, <clears throat> Tyco New Haven Alco Century 430 comes to mind. Yeah. That was yeah. one of my first two locomotives. <laughs> um, so, okay. So we're moving along at a dizzying pace here and I have not tied up one single thread. So let me go back <laughs> to the Arizona and California. <clears throat> okay. You lived close enough to that railroad that uh, 
that was the prototype that inspired you to do some models of them, correct? Yes, yes. I was like maybe three hours from them. And didn't you also do an S, a couple of SP models too? No, I've never done an SP model. Well, and maybe XSP then, because I oh, saw yeah, I, it was. I had a GP35 here with the like blanked out SP light yes, package. Yes, because the Arizona, California had X GP35s or XSP GP35s. I think they also had an X Pennsylvania GP35. Wow. And so I only lived like three hours from there, maybe. And I became somewhat friends with the uh, chief mechanic up there. It's a really small operation up there. And they Did were you ever really make the trek along the, the main line from race to Katie's. <clears throat> no, I've only driven to their, <laughs> their headquarters and hung around their yard. <laughs> I, I did, I did that once with my, with my buddy, Dave, we, we, we had gone down the sunset route, stayed yeah. in Yuma, and then we went to rice and, and checked out, you know, that, that spot. Yeah. And then, you know, we looked at the map and we thought, Hey, you know, we've got an SUV. Maybe it'll be cool to just make a loop rather than go all the way back, you know, yeah. and yeah, just right. cut across the desert, you know, on the, on the, on, cause there was like a, you know, a, a desert dirt road. So, yeah. you know, we're going and we're going and we're going and we're going and the road's just getting worse and worse and worse. You know, yes. we're going across these dry <laughs> washes that kept getting wider and mm -hmm. softer and deeper mm -hmm. and but eventually you've crossed enough of them and you've gone far enough that turning around just doesn't seem like a good option right yeah. and then we came to this little oasis like sort of midway and and they were like a, a, some commercial type buildings and a couple of, i mean it looked like something out of a movie set really yeah. um and there was one guy there we we, we, we just said to him i said hey what you know what's the road like we, we're, we're trying to continue on on up the Katie's. And he just thought about it and he says, I think a semi made it through here a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and I yeah. thought, hmm, <laughs> a semi a couple of weeks ago. All right. Those are two things that uh, yeah. will we'll take as facts. So anyway, we just kept going. And eventually we came to the mother of all dry washes. Mm -hmm. and, and this, you know, the, the width of this dry wash definitely was longer than the SUV. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I told my buddy Dave, I said, okay, I'm going to, you know, we got out and looked at it. And I said, I think I can make it. Yeah. I said, you go on the other side and take the camera. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a good head start. And he caught this uh, amazing picture, really, of me with a maniacal grin with the SUV uh, fully airborne, all four wheels off the ground and above the dry wash. And uh, when I landed, it, <laughs> it went right up to the frame. Oh. <laughs> and my forward progress stopped and I got out and we looked, we walked around the thing. And at that point I realized that I couldn't hear a single sound. I mean, nothing. Mm -hmm. There were no sounds of cars, no sounds of airplanes, no, you know, no birds, not vultures yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I thought, well, so fortunately Dave found a tie plate, like a single tie plate. And we used that to dig the tires out and we managed to get out of that spot, which is why you and I are talking here today. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, I think our option would have been to wait for the A and C to come by the next day and flag them down. Yeah. That's if, that's if half of their power didn't drop out on them. That's right. Why, that's right. why they ran. They pretty much ran all their Jeeps in a train. 
Disney so, Chase power drop down. So back when when you did your, I think it was at least a GP30 you did, right? Or was yep, it more I than did, one? No, I just did one GP30. All right. So how, how did you do the decals for that? Were they commercially available? Yeah, um, Microscale made those. Okay. So you did. So you had your Arizona and California phase. You moved moved around a little bit. Um, Penn Central was always an interest, was it? Or oh, did it's that always, come and yeah, go? It's always, it's always an interest. It's still an interest. And quite honestly, one of my, my current railroad that I'm modeling, my proto-freelance railroad, one of the scenarios was it was part of the Penn Central, kind of like the P&E. Oh, interesting. But, uh, but I dropped that idea. <laughs> but I like the Penn Central a lot. It, the only reason I don't, the only reason I do not, model it is because it's too popular i could see that yeah it yeah i could see that now you know i was just trying to think of how many uh, your fingerprints are probably all over the stuff that i've got in in my basement i know i've got a caboose that you started and you had you had built um like when they put new windows in those cabooses it was sort of like an inner frame with rounded Mm -hmm. inner corners Mm -hmm. i guess you scratch built those out of styrene right Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I looked at that and I said, this looks like a Conrail picture I, 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 I have. And sure enough, it was. So that caboose is running around on, on my railroad. I'm just wondering how many other banner things are, are running around there. Certainly the, um, the uh, I, I almost was going to say ill-fated uh, GP10 project, but mm-hmm. it's not really ill-fated in, in that I have subsequently done uh, half of them. And the other two are sort of in progress here, you know, but that, you know, that project was so old. I believe that that was when sound was not a factor. And I'm not even sure if DCC was yeah, that, where DC, I was at that time. No, it wasn't. I, I, I started D, putting DCC into my stuff probably around 2008. Right. So back then, if you wanted something that ran beautifully, it was important to have a Kato yes. engine and, and yes. motor and what have you, which is yes. why I was interested in, uh, in, in using other manufacturers, otherwise good shells on, mm-hmm. on Kato frames. So I think you had milled out a couple of GP30 frames, I mean, uh, GP35 frames, so that I could put uh, P2K GP30 shells on them. And yes. those, are, those are running around on the layout. Yes, I've um, done one of the models that it's in my project box is a is a GP30 on a Cotto GP35 frame with a Cotto GP35 sill unit. Yeah, so, interesting. Which I had to sacrifice a sill unit to cut the the blower duct off to put on the other side. Oh, jeez! And it it's it you can only do that with a phase one GP30 because of the the same length uh, equipment boxes underneath the cab you know what i still have here that i ran across the other day you're gonna you're gonna chuckle at this one i have the sd40a uh under under chassis that you made with the with the custom fuel tanks and all of that yeah yeah that that was a spliced kato sd40 frame (laughs) it's uh you know my my original intention was I'm going to build one of these one day, like a full from scratch Canon project. And, mm-hmm. and now I, I don't, I don't know if I have it in me anymore. I know that seems sad, but when yeah. you could lay out the size I have, you know, to put that much effort and time 
oh yeah one locomotive like that i i don't know i think maybe i'm i'm beyond that now oh i i definitely am i'm i'm not going to spend six months building a locomotive anymore right i'm i'm and that's what it it would take to do it right yeah i mean the fastest i ever built the locomotive in in was a month and 17 days and that was for to get ready for the uh, one of the St. Louis RPM meets, and I had okay. to do a, a clinic on that. What but was, that was the loco? Really pushing myself, I was working on that thing like <laughs> night and day. Six, yeah, like six hours a day. What and was the, the loco? Weekend, what's that? What was what loco was it? It was the uh, Missouri Pacific SD forty two. Now is that one of the locos that you ran here? Yes. Yes. Ah, well, I'm, just for our listeners, I'm going to be posting some pictures of um, of Brian's. Uh, Missouri Pacific locomotives uh, on my layout. Uh, there was one proto meet in New England that Brian came up for, and he he stayed at my house. I don't know if it was one night or two, but probably two. Um, mm-hmm. He brought his uh, his lovely locomotives uh, up, and uh, we took some pictures and I think maybe even a video. Yes. Uh, of yeah. these uh, of these locos, uh, you know, run running on on the Conrail Lehigh line. So. Um, people get a kick out of, uh, out of seeing those, I think. Now, are, are those, those are all gone, I would assume, huh? Yeah, the only thing I have left is two EJ&E SD38-2s. Hmm. I did, and which I really enjoyed those. <clears throat> those are models that I, I didn't go the full length on them, but I did, I did do some stuff. I put in uh, uh, photo-etched uh, dynamic brake grills, and on the bicentennial unit that I did, I I actually designed the proper step wells for it and had them 3D printed and I did the photo Jeez. etch for the steps. So it's the only HO scale EJ&E SD38-2 and bicentennial paint with the correct steps. Wow. The only, and, thing, the only one on the planet. That's right. And <laughs> on, I think a lot of people don't know, the Cotto fuel tank is too long. So I put the uh, I put the uh, uh, Athern thirty two hundred gallon fuel tank under it. Ah, all right. So, all right. So, do have you built or do you intend to build a layout at all? <clears throat> well, I see. I will never build a layout, but on the other side of that, I mean, I want to, but I just don't have the the motivation to do it. I have a couple of friends here. I, I run with the uh, Sipping and Switching Society of North Carolina. Oh, yeah. I remember those guys. Didn't they bring their layout to Savannah a couple times? Yes, they did. Yeah. And two Are there people of the guys, I know in there? They, they, I still remember some of the. Wasn't Zany in one of those? Yes, he's in that. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. So two of the guys, one of the guys lives about two miles from me. And he's got a layout set up. He's got he's got probably about a hundred modules ready wow. to ready to put track down on. Wow! And he's he's unbelievable, Mike, with structures and track laying and scenery. And I have another friend with them. Wait a minute! Does he have the space to have those all set up? Oh yeah. Well, he doesn't have the space to have them all set up, but he's got in his attic. He's got a finished attic, and he's got I think it's fifty feet by eight feet of modules set up running running okay. up there so and i so have if you want to run something you have plenty of places to do it oh yeah yeah like with when the sipping and switching society sets up you're talking about a was it 1600 square feet of layout or more and wow. and you need a uh, gym for that yeah they they've put on a pretty good show 
But what I was getting at is I have another friend that he doesn't like building, you know, locomotives and stuff like that. So he asked if I'd build him a, an Erie Lackawanna GP35, which I've been spending two years on, but he's not, he's not, he's not in a huge hurry for it. Although I'm sure he'd like it to be done. Does he want the full band of treatment on it? No, no. He just is basically out of the box. I just have to paint it. Oh, so I've got it. I've got it Give all it to done. Bob Harp. <laughs> yeah. I've got it all done through the, the sill unit and handrails. I just have to do the hood and the cap. But for that, he's going to build me a switching layout in my room and I'll just pay for everything, but he'll do, he'll do the work. Nice. And he just loves doing that stuff. And I told him, I says, I told him, I says, you're in control of this because I will never settle on a design. So I said, you just design it <laughs> and be done with it. I, I've have, I have no input to it. You just do it. I bet a switching right. layout would suit you very, very well. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a, I've got a 17 foot wall on one side, nine foot on the end and 12 feet on the other side. That's ample. Yeah. So he's putting together a design. He said he'll start on it next year. And I said, you just tell me what you need and, and I'll, you know, tell me what the supplies you need and I'll pay for it. Do you use Shapeways for 3D printing? All the time. I've got a whole bunch of stuff coming to me right now. And that's what I'm waiting on to finish this uh, Roco Atlas GP40. I've, I designed my own uh, speaker. It's, it's an all-in-one thing. It's got a keep alive holder on one end. It's got a board mount in the middle and a speaker, a double speaker enclosure on the back end. So are that, you using um, uh, look sound decoders? Yes. I love those. Those yeah. are those it's all are, I use too. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. The, I imagine you're taking the the Atlas Roco. I mean, I guess it's a good runner. It was one of the one of the first really good running locomotives. Yeah, but I'm putting a Cotto motor in. I've designed a motor mount for it as well. Okay. And um, let me guess, changing the fuel tank? Yep, there's an Athern <laughs> fuel tank under it right now. <laughs> what do you do? Just lop it right off? Yeah, it actually it actually cuts real easy. The 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 only thing you have to do is to make sure you cut it evenly on both sides so the fuel tank doesn't look lopsided you know on on one side and it's easy to do there's some there's some strategic points on it that you you line up and and then everything falls together i designed a new draft gearbox and um buffer plate for it and uh so because there's no way of once you remove the molded on air reservoirs you lose all your ability to mount the shell to the frame. So I designed a new setup that mounts the shell to the frame behind the pilot plate. So you, you cut, half of the, cut half the thickness of the frame away and you have a piece that glues up underneath the deck and then you screw it, you put a, a nut behind it and you screw through it, through the frame and it holds it all together. So now you're pulling off the frame, not off the shell. Yeah, I know this. I, you know, people probably look at me like I look at you, and and it is a it is a level thing. You know, like when I've been doing these GP10 conversions, mm -hmm. obviously, if you can picture how the Cato Atlas Cato frame is um, on on one end, there's just like a, a gaping hole, and yep. I I fill that in with um, GB weld and then drill through it, 
into plastic blocks that I mount inside the hood mm-hmm. and I tap those blocks and, and, and put a screw on each end. So the, the stinking body doesn't come off when you go to pick up the locomotive. Yeah. 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 So, so you know, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of rudimentary compared to the kind of fine scale stuff that, that you do. But um, you would have gotten a kick out of me the other day. I actually, this is a long story, but as part of this whole GP10 project, um, I ended up acquiring a few Intermountain GP10 shells only, uh-huh. uh, with the idea being that I was going to use the battery boxes or maybe portions of them as part of the whole right. uh, uh, you know, conversion. Mm-hmm. And there was one Conrail Loco I was looking at, and I said, boy, other than the four stacks on the top of this thing, it's going to be a torpedo tube uh, model. Uh-huh. So he said, all I have to do is change the stacks on this thing. And it's basically everything that I want. So I, but I didn't want to take the, the Kato uh, frames that you had milled because they were all perfect to do these modified Jeeps with the mm-hmm. side skirting and, and the ability yeah. to have a smaller fuel tank and all of that jazz. So then I remembered that I had a couple of Atlas classic uh, Jeeps and, you know, that underframe is nothing to write home about. And I thought if I took the Atlas Classic shell and put it on one of these Kato frames, I can take the IM uh, body, the shell, yeah. and put it on the Atlas Classic frame if I mill it to accept the body. So yeah. I literally made a frame for the IM shell out of the Atlas Classic frame, which milled very nicely. I think it's I think it's softer than the Polkato ones. Yeah. But I would my the challenge with milling is always how do you hold the thing, you know, fixtures right. and things. You know, right. I, I would I would love to see pictures of the fixtures that you that you made. Uh, I've made some fixtures, believe it or not, out of pieces of scrap corian. Yeah, I I just made probably about a half a dozen fixtures for this uh, Roco. GP40 to hold the, you know, to hold the the shell so I can mill the pilot plate flat. Right. Um, now I can't get it perfect because the way that's molded, it it's not true. So oh, really? it'll get me to a point where I can actually work on it without you know muscling through it with nippers and stuff to cut all the pieces off. And, and do you then put a thin overlay on it? And no, then I just scrape it and sand it, and okay. uh, everything turns out great. I made a fixture to hold the frame for milling. I made a fixture to hold the the the. I turned the um, Athern uh, blue box cabs, which are dash two cabs. I turned them into non dash two cabs. So I made a <laughs> fixture to hold the 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 cab, so I can mill off the pieces that aren't supposed to be there. And, and you, your fixture is basically a block that fits the inside of it perfectly, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This the fixture for the cab is just a 125,000 thick piece of styrene um, um, sheet that fits just the bottom of the cab because you don't need to support the top of the cab. You only need to support the bottom of the cab because that's where it's flexible. Okay. So I, and, I would yes, but any any fixtures like if you fall idle, uh, it wouldn't bother me to have you send me a few pictures of some of the fixtures that you've made. Just just that you know it might stimulate my own uh, well 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 thought stay process. Tuned. Yeah, stay tuned because this GP40 project is a test bed to see if it's something that I want to continue doing. If it is, 
then I'm, I'm selling all my Atlas blue or Atlas classic stuff. And cause I've got five of the Atlas Roco GP 38 sitting on the bench right now, oh my <laughs> ready to work. But once I finish this GP 40, then I'm going to do a full blown video on everything that I do to the Roco models with all the fixtures and, you know, that I made and, and all that. But I've, I've changed how I'm going to do the videos. I'm, Typically, I've been doing videos as I go. I'll do some stuff and post a video. The problem with that is eventually I lose interest, and then that project languishes. And then, sure. and then people ask, "When are you going to get back to this and that?" And I'm Nobody like, gets to know how it turned out because it yeah, never turns I, out. Yeah, because I lose motivation in it. So my videos are going to be, I'll video them, but I'm not going to post them until the whole project's done. And, and will and, will you make it as as uh, still separate videos, yes, or will you somehow yes. edit it together? No, no, there'll be separate videos. There'll be the introduction. There'll be the frame. There'll be the trucks. There'll be the, you know, the the pilot plates. You know that kind. Of, it'll all be separated like that. And the, and the things that you have had three D printed. Do you have a Shapeways store? Like, can people purchase these items, or are these strictly for your own consumption? Most of it's for my own consumption, but there is some stuff in a store. Um, I don't, I don't want to say go there and buy stuff because some of the stuff on there, you have to have the ability to cut your, your shells or your frames and stuff like that. To yep. use them. They were for, a, um, like a group build project that I was doing. And then I, I failed everybody as usual. And, <laughs> uh, and, and lo- that's when I lost, comp- that's when I disappeared from everything, but I've got, speaker enclosures that nobody's seen i've got like the stuff that i did for these these Ro- atlas roco stuff i've got i've got i've probably got over a hundred items that i do just for myself on there Jeez. You know, and, and stuff and it all you know it's all designs that work i'm like really excited about i've got you know you know like um coupler boxes that you know to help me like for instance the kato gp35s if you use the kato coupler box that little black box that you put mm-hmm. the coupler and slip through yep the coupler sticks out way too far so i designed a box you 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 fill that hole and then you use this box and it pulls the coupler in so it's the proper distance off the pilot plate and it looks much much better i'll bet i'll bet and what are you using for emd stanchions these days um i whatever the model has but on these roco ones i'm I'm looking at um, um, using the Athern Blue Box GP38, GP40-2 stanchions. And if those do not work, I have probably about 20 sets of the Kato SD40-2 handrail sets that I'll cut the stanchions off and use those. And, and drill them out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never well, done, what's done in, that. What's, what's interesting, Mike, is that I can use the Kato SD40-2 stanchion or handrail sets on the long hood, the long hood portion. They match what they're supposed to be. I just have to cut a couple of the stanchions off and then redrill the end of the stanchion. And the way that Kato did those is, you know, they have that separate step well piece. Yes. You can just use that and just plug it all back in. The only stanchions or the only handrail portion that I have to build is the parts that go up on the battery box. Other than that, I can use the uh, 40-2 handrail sets. 
What about if you want to do, um, you know, deck mounted stanchions for an anti-climber? Uh, then I will um, basically make a, um, a block of styrene that the stanchion, I'll, I'll put a pin to the stanchion, to the styrene, I'll put a pin in the styrene block, and then I'll pin it into the top of the, uh, the deck. From underneath. Okay, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. So you're, you're pretty accomplished with CAD at this point. Is that a safe statement? Yeah, yeah, I designed all, all my all my photo etches designed on CAD. Um, all my, of course, all my decals are designed on CAD. And I use uh, for three D. I use a program called Alibre. Well, wait a minute. May, I, maybe I'm confused. I thought you said you were using Corel Draw to draw up your decals. Yes, yes, that's CAD. <laughs> Computer-aided design. <laughs> Jeez, I don't think of it that way, but you're right. It's 2D, not 3D. Right, right. right. Yeah. Now, do you do any, do you, but 3D, what are you using for that? Like SolidWorks or something? No, I'm using a, a program called Alibre. Okay. It, it was really cheap. And um, so I had, you know, I bought uh, the cheapest version because I don't need it for production or anything like that. So I bought that. I'm not super proficient, like knowing all the ins and outs. But I can build because locomotives have basically, you know, square and rectangular parts. There's not a whole lot on them that are off angle um, parts and stuff like that. Rounded things. And, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, I mean, I can, I can produce or I can design everything that I need on, on that program. So do you feel like you have enough information about locomotives in terms of dimensions that you don't need to go out and measure something when you need to make something. Right. For EMD, I do. For all the other ones, uh, some of the GE I do. For Elco, I don't have anything on. Much harder. Yeah, yeah. So do you basically, the, you know, by eye? I mean, you know, off of photos till it looks right? <laughs> yeah, some of that stuff I'll do by eye. And, and, and what's nice is um, I, I have two large computer screens. So I'll pull, a, pull the, um, the pictures up or the yep. photographs up. And I'll scale them till they match something on a on a on a scale rule, and then <laughs> uh, and and it turns out fairly close. I, I'm I'm very surprised at how close it actually turns out when you do that. Well, it tells me you've got a good eye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I one I bought four of those um, uh, scale trains SD45s, and I was turning them into um, the demonstrator SD45s, but I had to do the decals for them. So I use four different photographs and artwork and stuff, and I and I redid all the decals for them, and then I printed them out on a printer, just to see how well they worked, and they turned out perfect as far as you know, you know, proportionally what I've seen in the photographs and stuff. You know, it's it, it's interesting that I mean, obviously, this is something that you that you enjoy doing, you know, and um, I'm I'm fortunate enough to know uh, people besides you, you know, that, that, that do things like this, that have skill sets that can help me out with, uh, with things that I need. You know, my, my buddy, Jim Lincoln had, had helped me do some 3d printing of my, uh, Lehigh Valley, uh, concrete phone booths. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one day I was doing a structure and I was lamenting the fact that you just couldn't buy a dock bumper, you know, one of those things with like the cut up pieces of rubber bolted together yes. in a, yeah. And, he's, and he said, hang on. And he whipped, whipped out his laptop. He was here doing some track work 
but he whipped out his laptop and he kind of like drew it up in real time. He says, is this what you're looking for? And I said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. So yeah, next yeah. thing you know, I, I, I had my own, you know, custom printed uh, dock bumpers and the same thing for my um, uh, road gate, you know, the, the, the little access gate, you know, the yes. triangular gate that mm-hmm. you see everywhere that I still can't believe nobody ever, ever <clears throat> offered as, a, as, a, as something available in HO. Um, so it's nice to know people who can, you know, who can do things like that. For me being in IT, the last thing I want to do is spend time on the computer (laughs) as part of my hobby. You know, I'm trying to get off the computer into the train room, you know? Yeah. But you're on a computer all day long, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I wish I didn't have to design all this stuff, but in order to get what I want, I have to. I'm actually not sure what you do for your your full-time gig. I mean, I, are you designing circuits or is it? Yeah, I design um, computer circuits like, uh, like microchip stuff, how, how the, uh, where all the gates are and how they talk to each other and, and the, you know, you know, placing transistors and placing capacitors, you know, all in the, in the micro level, you know, we're talking, you know, <laughs> one, what I work in actually it's smaller, but I work in microns, so you, you figure a thousand microns is a millimeter. So N scale didn't phase you. No, no, no. <laughs> but see, but, I can I can work in any scale, Mike, because I can't see anything in any scale. So I have to wear optivisors and magnifying glasses anyway. Mm-hmm. So I can work in any scale. Well, how old are you now, Brian? Um, 56. 56. Well, I take it from me at 64. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it does not improve as you get No, I, I, I imagine it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. So, I actually have dual uh, bifocals for most of the stuff that I'm doing just in the train room because I have one for a 12-inch focal length because the normal 18-inch, uh, sometimes if you're like working under the layout or whatever, you can't get your head back far enough mm. to focus. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I explained that to the, to the eye doctor and they said, okay, we'll, we'll write a prescription. And I had a hard time getting it right with the people who made the glasses. But mm-hmm. I'm telling you, without those, <laughs> I don't know how I would do some of the things that I have to do. And that's just for <laughs> like normal close eyesight. Yeah. Well, before I ask you this next question, I just want to let you know, I actually have almost 50 finished freight cars, all weathered and, and everything. Wow. Yeah. That's are, these are, are these the, the old AHMs or? Uh... Yeah. Yeah. If you go to my Flickr page, you'll, you'll see everything. Everything's right. on there. So but, if I just want to go to Flickr and search for Brian Banna yep, or? Uh-huh, yep. That's all you have to do. And same thing for your YouTube? Uh, yep. Yep. Okay. But, I'll, be, I'll be, what I'll do for, for the folks is I will do the heavy lifting on that. Not that it's that heavy. And then I'll just post the links. But I wanted to ask you, because we've all been talking about what I've been doing and stuff. What have you been up to? Well, all right. So you remember when you came here, how I had like a separate building in the lower driveway. That was my, my workshop. And then, yeah, I remember you said you were going to, yeah, you were going to build onto your basement. Yeah. Well, I I basically connected the two buildings with a (laughs) pretty good sized addition that almost doubled the uh available layout space so oh my god the existing layout space was a thousand uh square feet the addition for the layout is about another 800 oh my goodness and then um do you remember that big staging yard that was all along okay my buddy dave and i put that on on rollers and 
rolled that out into the new building. So basically I kind of like stretched the existing layout and then filled in the gaps in between. Wow. And that was all with an eye towards uh, being able to more accurately model uh, the prototype. As I learned more and more about it, it just became more and more interesting to me. So yeah. I, 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 it, it permits me to do a lot of the Pittston and uh, Taylor and, and uh, even the little bits of, of Scranton areas that uh, I wasn't, you know, wasn't modeling at all before because I just didn't have any room for it. Mm -hmm. um, so it, uh, for me, it's been like a real, a real shot in the arm. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of rekindled my interest in my layout. And uh, even though I just took, <laughs> I actually remember how you said you took some time off. Yeah. I took some time off from an intense period of layout building to just work on locomotives. I, I just find that I missed it. And I, I turned out about uh, roughly 25 uh, locomotives mm -hmm. uh, in six months. I, I was going to work on them for about six weeks, but it turned into six months. <laughs> and, and you know how that works, you know, you just kind of get yeah. on a roll with something and yeah. uh, like the first one, I actually felt kind of rusty and then, uh, but you know, you, you get it back. It's like, it's like riding a bike. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, and, um, and, and then I was like really getting into it. And then I thought, boy, a lot of the same techniques I'm employing here would be useful on this other thing. And, mm -hmm. and then I thought, well, geez, I've got these, um, these D and H local locos that I've got to, you know, sort of, enhance the the fleet on because i was in really good shape on conrail but you know kind of light on 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 dnh so some of that involved believe it or not uh one of your old uh penn central begun i think uh alco c424s oh okay yeah and that, I remember that one the the uh obviously it had to get modified but that ended up getting turned into one of the c424ms that uh, DNH had rebuilt at Hornell mm -hmm. uh, that involved extended sandboxes and back and uh, you know certain uh, bulges on the side of the hood that were not on the original uh, loco and you know filter changes and, and and things like that but you know I really enjoyed the heck out of that project as well. That's that's quite an undertaking I mean when I was there that layout was sizable enough that I would be happy with having for the rest of my life. And now you've added 800 square feet more. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, so I think some people would raise an eyebrow at it, but you know, ah, if you're, right. if you're passionate about the hobby, oh, yeah. uh, it would raise an eyebrow uh, for any other sane person that was not. <laughs> right, so, right, um, right. I, I can't I mean, worry about that. You know, for me, my litmus test is always, Am I having fun doing it? You know what I mean? Oh, I'm, sure. a, I'm a process guy. And um, even though there are times when you have a project you're working on that you want to see through, you know, you want to, you don't want it to bog down. You want to see it through. Um, you're, you're like a CAD guy in IT. I'm a project manager in IT. So mm -hmm. all projects need to sort of be driven to completion to one extent or another. Oh um, yeah. And, and yeah. without, without the um, recognition of that or the person to do that or someone employing project management techniques to do that, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> right, right. You know, it doesn't happen. Now, when you think about it, a layout is kind of like the ultimate project. It's very complex. It's got all kinds of disciplines involved in it. 
Um, that's what makes it so engaging for me because I like carpentry. I like wiring. I like the art of scenery. I like the engineering of, mm-hmm. of, of track and, 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 uh, and, and design and, and making it, you know, work well. So there are few hobbies that I'm aware of that have all of those elements, you know, unfortunately right. for me, this, this does. So that's what drives it for me. So, uh, you know, whenever I can, you know, I'm, I'm down there and I, you know, I have a very uh, cooperative and, and understanding wife who understands that that's what makes me me. And yeah. she likes, she likes that in me. And, uh, and she gets it because she's a creative person too. And, you know, she plays mm-hmm. the piano and all of that jazz. So, you know what I mean? We've each got our hobbies. We each enjoy our own alone time. We yeah. each enjoy getting back together when we're done with that, you know, it just kind of works, you know? So it's, it really is like a happy time and a, and a happy place for me. When, when, uh, you know, the pandemic hit and, and all of that and people were kind of socially isolating, I thought, I got this, I can do this. I've got the right spot to do this. Oh you know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, as, as far as this, you know, quarantine stuff, they didn't have to tell me to do it. I was just, that's the way I am anyway. Right. Right. I, I, I quarantined myself away from the world anyway. So. I used, I used the beginning of it uh, probably from let's say February into so February, March, probably through April and into May, uh, a very intense uh, section of layout <laughs> building that was the the deepest scene that I've ever created on on the layout. Very unusual because most of the times on a layout, if it's not within arm's reach or so, uh, it's not that much good to you, you know. Right. But there was no way I could have pulled off the the scene that I needed to do without making something that was three times that. Uh, so you really have to think about not only how you're building it, because you sort of build out from, from the middle, mm-hmm. but how you're going to manage it. I had to design in a couple of pop-ups so that in the, in the event of, of difficulty, I could, I could get in there. Um, but when you build a scene like that for the first time, uh, the challenge of it, I enjoyed because all, everything I knew about building a layout came into play, but I also have to learn a lot of new stuff to make that work properly, you know? Right. So yeah. I just found that very, very interesting and, and engaging. And, and by the time I got to the end of that, it was time to just like take a little break. So this summer I rode my bike a lot and worked on locomotives and the IT business kind of ramped up a lot because people realized, hey, you know, we need to do a lot of IT stuff remotely now. So a, yeah. lot, of, a lot of work was, you know, so I had a lot of interruptions working on the locomotives kind of lent itself to that because I could, I could, you know, work on a little bit of it or just a little section of it and I could get right back to it whenever I needed to. Whereas when you're working on the layout, you kind of want to get into it and make hours disappear while you're, yeah. while you're immersed in it. It's like a different kind of, of yeah. working on it for me, you know? Yeah, well, I, could, uh, I, I, for the, for the longest time, since I met you back in, um, at that Savannah meet, I think you were working on freight cars and locomotives. And then for years and up until I can say till what you just mentioned, you hadn't worked on anything like that other than the layout. Exactly. Exactly. I, I had well, part of the problem was, and, and you, I think you'll get this when I say it all that time, I was sort of, you know, trudging along on my free freelance uh, railroad 
but I was a, I was a strict prototype modeler. I, I would go rail fanning and I would take pictures and I would model what I saw. And um, when Conrail ended, uh, I had a choice. You know, I could, I could keep going that direction. But to be honest with you, the modern stuff wasn't really uh, floating my, my boat all that much. Right. Um, I, I wasn't that all that enthralled with, with wide cab locomotives, you know, right. and, and uh-huh. uh, you know, and modern trains. It's a lot of unit trains. It's a lot of intermodal. It wasn't as interesting to me. Right. right. So at that point, I realized, geez, I guess I'm a, I guess I'm a period modeler. And then as my, as my rail fanning was, was kind of winding down before I kind of settled down with, uh, with, my, with my new wife, Karen, um, I kind of stumbled upon my prototype while I was bouncing around in, in northeastern Pennsylvania. And when I, when I found my prototype, at that point, I realized, okay, first, I've got to get rid of some of this modern stuff, which I did. And secondly, I've got, to, I've got to get some new stuff that's more appropriate for my 1984 era. And now you really want to have your, you know, when, you, when I got the prototype in my head and I, and I realized what I wanted to create in the basement, it wasn't just this sort of ambient freelance railroad anymore. It was, I know what I want to do. Like I would go down there and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I'd been doing it long enough that I knew how to do it. So it was just a matter of doing it. It mm-hmm. wasn't all of that, you know, sitting around scratching your head. What am I going to do here? Stuff, which is how we all waste our, our time with stuff. So for the first time, I had the luxury of clarity, you know, yeah. clarity of, 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 of modeling. Yeah. And that's kind of been the mode that I've been in for, oh, I don't know, um, maybe eight, nine years, something like that. Yeah, it, it's very easy to fall into the professional procrastinator. Well, I don't know about you, but the way I, I model, if I can't see it in my head, yeah. I, can't, I can't make it. Yeah. So the only, there's the head scratching thing, involved, you know, with anything you do. You know, I, yeah. before I started on this new section that I've been working on, I probably spent several days just kind of standing there, scratching my chin and looking at it from different angles and, frowning and making noises and going upstairs and then coming back down later and looking at it again. And it, it, you know, that's kind of the initial stages of it. That's not the part I enjoy the most because it can be a little frustrating until you figure it out. And then when you figure it out, you kind of get a eureka moment and it's like, okay, now I can't wait to build it, you know, and that's kind of how the cycle is for me. Yeah. I, the, the, the thing that I procrastinate the most on is weathering. I absolutely hate weathering. Really? Oh my God. I and hate you do it. a good job with it. I hate it with a passion, Mike. Huh. And it's too, too it, artsy for you, too imprecise. No, it's too. <laughs> I'm going to tell you why I hate it so much because I don't know how to approach it. Really? I don't know where to begin. I'm telling you, Mike, all the, like if you go to my, my Flickr page and you look at all that stuff, all that stuff took me like two days per car to do because it's all just a basic a thin wash and a pin wash and that's it. But like, like for instance, I have to say, when you say um, pin wash for, for people who don't know what that is, a pin wash me. is a, is a heavier <laughs> wash that'll gather only around the details. Okay. It, like it a thicker wash. Out. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm think in, in my opinion of all the people I've seen doing weathering, Kevin Packard is probably the best at being able to look at a photograph and reproduce it. Now, he knows where he's starting from. 
<clears throat> he knows the process that he's going through to get to the end result. When I do weathering, I have no idea where I'm starting. Interesting. See, when I was when I was start when I started out weathering, I I was dismayed that everything looked the same. I, mm-hmm. I was basically using the same. So like a like an individual car might look fine, but then if you look at them in a train or together in a yard, it's like yeah, that all looks the same. Yeah. And I solved that problem <laughs> and I became a prototype modeler because. Uh-huh. I would pick out an interesting prototype car, build it, and then, okay, recreating how that car looks becomes sort of like a problem to solve. You have to figure out how you're going to do each of the things that you're seeing in there. Uh And doing enough of that kind of taught me how to, how to weather, if you will, you know? Yeah. Well, Um, I, I weather because I like the results when the car is done. I just hate the process. That's just so interesting. Huh? So everything I have is weathered, but it's like, like right now I'm working on two Celanese tank cars and I put a wash on a basic wash starting wash yesterday. Are those, those Bobby Pitt style, uh, big long? No, no. These are IHC <laughs> tank cars. Oh geez. Okay. Is that the but, ones that had that, that sort of weird box on top? Yes, I have that. Those are the two that I'm. Yeah. Using. Yeah. I have one of those, believe it or not. Yeah, I like them. I, it's part of my... I didn't think it was a bad-looking car. I mean, it needs a no, little TLC, when, of course, but... Yeah, when you clean it up, and it looks pretty nice. I put, you know, different ladders on it. I had some spare ladders from an MTA or an AHM tank car, so I cut them up and put them on it. I put new <laughs> you, bolts. I'm sorry, you're using the AHM term in, 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 you know, in what you're doing. I'm just having a hard time conflating those two. <laughs> <laughs> so so and, and actually on my on my Flickr page there's a there's a folder or an album that has everything with those tank cards in it except I'm finishing them now and they'll pictures will go in there. Uh, I'm using Flickr as my as my um uh, media for um you know you know sharing everything. Yep. It's a it's a actually not a bad site and yeah. I I still use it uh myself. <clears throat> I can see that we could uh, we could go on and on, and I could see we're going to yeah. have to revisit this at some point again down the road. I yeah, think I would I, like to. I would like yeah. to talk to you about my freelance railroad. I think you'd find it pretty interesting. I think that's a that, that there's a show. You know what I mean? So we'll uh, why don't we um, you know get back to that uh, in in the spring sometime because sure. I want to hear all about that. Uh, but before that, I want to make sure I do my homework. So. I'm going to be uh, looking at your YouTube channel and I'm going to be perusing your, your, uh, your Flickr channel. And um, I'm also going to be, like I said, posting some pictures of your, um, of your MP stuff, maybe even some of the uh, other earlier stuff from the, from the Banna collection, you know, just so people <laughs> get a, get a sense of uh, the, uh, I mean, I consider you, even though you say you never finish anything, we know that's not true. You're a very prolific modeler and when you think about the quantity of fine models that you've turned out over the years it's it's probably second to none well thank you mike i appreciate that that's really nice of you to say brian it was good uh, good catching up with you and uh we will talk about this again sooner than later well thanks mike i appreciate it and it, uh, it'd be nice to see you again could even happen someday you never know that's right <laughs> <laughs> Take Take care, buddy. Take care, everybody.